So, you know, uh, other than our little foible today, you guys have all done a beautiful job over this last year and a half uh, or so, not only learning to read from the book of Psalms, uh, but learning to sing them the way that they're intended to. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of all of you because that was a big step. Uh, but it's especially fitting to do that on a day like Reformation Sunday because the great reformer Martin Luther was so in love with the Psalms. So much so that it's no exaggeration to say that it was through the preaching and teaching and praying and singing of the Psalms that God began to unveil the gospel of grace to Luther because as, as he said himself, uh, his studies oriented his heart and mind to discover within its pages treasure hidden in a field. Uh, a treasure for which he would joyfully expend the rest of his life to procure, to protect, and to boldly proclaim. Actually, in, including a, a brief proclamation that he made on our psalm today, on Psalm 66, when he said, those who believe this, who believe the words of Psalm 66 earnestly, they believe it earnestly, cannot be quiet about it, but must gladly and willingly sing and speak about it so that others may come and hear. So I pray that you'll hear it with me, and even more, I pray that you'll read along with me if you have your Bibles or looking at Psalm 66. And for those of you that are just joining us uh, online for the first time or here for the first time, we're going through an expository series on the Psalms. We started at number one, and today we're up to 66. Uh, and David writes to the choir master a song, a psalm. And he writes, Shout for joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give him glorious praise. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. If you remember, Selah just means stop and think about what you've just read. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fatted animals, with smoke of sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Now I'm sure you could tell as we read through the text there that Psalm 66 is primarily a psalm about God's deliverance. Uh, his deliverance of his chosen people as a group uh, and of individual people like you and me 
deliverance from the threat of enemies, deliverance from the uh, deep waters of this troubled world, deliverance from the sins that we treasure in our hearts, and, and finally, and maybe most importantly, deliverance from the terror of death so that we can stand firm and declare the truth, the, the living truth of the God who David says this morning, who has kept our souls among the living and has not let our feet slip. Now, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I can easily imagine Martin Luther's mind going to that verse some 502 years ago uh, this weekend when he uttered his prophetic and defiant phrase, Here I stand. Here I stand. Uh, three words that changed the course of history. Three words that have been associated with the Reformation since they were first uttered by a, a frightened Augustinian monk as he stood on trial before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in 1521 uh, with all of his attendant lords and all the princes of the church. Here I stand, he said. I can do no other. God help me. And those are pretty bold words. Inspiring words. Uh, and they're the words that I want to talk to you about today in the brief time that we have together. Talk to you about why Luther was so adamant that he wouldn't be moved. Uh, talk to you about what happened when he refused to budge and more importantly talk to you about how God used Martin Luther and the men and women of the Reformation to shout from pillar to post in the words of Psalm 66 come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul for my soul uh, which really uh, to start out with is a miracle in itself because if you remember Luther didn't set out to be a preacher right he uh, he actually started in school to be a lawyer, of all things, and, uh, and lawyers were liked just as well then as they are now. No, no, no offense to any attorneys that may be listening or, <clears throat> or in the congregation, but some of them really earn their reputation, don't they? Like this, like this young lawyer that was working late. Uh, one night he's try, trying to impress the higher-ups for a promotion when his office door bursts open and in walks Satan himself. Satan says, I have an offer for you. If you'll give me your soul and the souls of everyone in your family, I use my power to make you a full partner in the firm and I'll double all of your billable hours. The attorney thought for a minute and scratched his head and shrewdly looked back at the devil and said, okay, uh, devil, what's the catch? <laughs> okay, so that wasn't the best joke. <clears throat> yeah, try, yeah, try it again. Right, what's the catch? Anyway, anyway, Luther started out to be a lawyer. One day he's, he's walking across campus uh, with a friend of his, talking with a classmate of his, when suddenly this huge bolt of lightning struck near to both of them, and Luther's friend was instantly burned to a crisp. Uh, and it all happened so fast, uh, and Luther had been thrown so hard and so far that it knocked all of the wind out of him, and he lay face down not knowing if he was ever going to start breathing again or not. So he calls out in his mind to St. Anne. That's one of his first mistakes. He called out and said, St. Anne, if you'll save me, I'll become a monk. Well, he lived. He did live. And although he regretted that rash vow, he was good to his word. And in 1505, he joined the Augustinian monastery at Erfurt. But now, since he started out on this new monastic life with really foolish motives and a very flawed prayer, his time there was anything but fruitful. But, but in his defense, he, he did do his best to live life as, as a monk was supposed to live. He prayed when he was supposed to pray. 
He ate when he was supposed to eat. He, uh, he fasted when he was supposed to fast. Uh, he did everything required by the monastic life, but despite all of that, he always had a nagging feeling that he wasn't doing enough because he knew that God demanded perfection and he knew he wasn't perfect. Uh, but to try and earn salvation, to try to impress God, he would uh, beat himself with straps, stood outside in the cold for hours, deprived himself of sleep, and he went to confession constantly, uh, so much so that he wore out all the confessors in the monastery. And eventually no one wanted to hear his confession anymore. In fact, his very uh, last confessor at the monastery on being woken up at midnight by a desperate Luther needing to confess just one more sin said, Brother Martin, whatever it is, whatever it is, would you please just go back to bed? Now, now, thankfully for Luther, he was just as brilliant and dedicated to his education and work as a scholar as he was at making confessions. Uh, so he worked very quickly up through the ranks. But all the while, he felt completely empty on the inside until one day he made this shocking confession to himself. It really brought him to reality. He said, the priests here at the monastery are always preaching to the brothers, love God, love God, love God. He said, I didn't love God. I hated him. Because no matter what works or penance I do, it's never enough. And I can't take it anymore. And that's when he, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, made his first right choice of his life. He prayed directly to God. He didn't pray to the Virgin. He didn't pray through any saints. He prayed directly to God and he said, Sovereign Lord, I will do anything, anything to find you. Now, there, there was no second bolt of lightning at that point. Um, the answer didn't come to him immediately, but it, it did come. Now, meanwhile, he's, he's ordered to take his doctorate in biblical studies and to become a professor at the University of Wittenberg, which it, he didn't want to do that either. But in God's providence, it was during that time and his preparation for the lectures on the Psalms that we've been studying uh, and a lengthy study of the book of Romans that he began to see the light of the gospel. And this is what he wrote in his diary. He said, at last... Meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God, namely by faith. And he said, here, it was as if I felt entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through gates that had been flung open wide, uh, flung open by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he could pray in the words of Psalm 66 today, but truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. And you know how he did it? He did it by showing Luther the beauty of his amazing grace. You see, that's, that's the here in Luther's here I stand. It's grace. Grace is where Luther stood. It's the thing he wasn't willing to give up. The confession of the fact that God is gracious and saves us through the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. Uh, a sacrifice that, that he gives to us freely without any merit or any worthiness on our part. But you know, the, the church, we talked about this in Sunday school today, uh, the church of Luther's day had lost that precious promise, or worse yet, they had converted it into cheap merchandise to be sold. It started uh, when Pope Leo X began to raise funds for his grand renovation of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Uh, and in order to raise the money he needed, the Roman church began the practice of selling indulgences, uh, selling what to the minds of many were a get-out-of-hell-free card. Uh, one story of a, a particular man involved in this relates 
a time when Luther came across a man from his congregation, a man who had a history of, of drunkenness and immoral living. And he'd been sober for a while. He'd tried to recover his life, get his family back. But Luther found him one particular day drunk by the side of the road. And when Luther asked him why he had given in to temptation and gone back to the bottle, the man showed him his newly purchased indulgence sheet. And he said, don't worry, Brother Martin, I'm covered. It doesn't matter how I live now. He said, I'm going to heaven because I purchased my ticket. A ticket endorsed by the Pope, no less. But if you'll pardon the pun, Luther wasn't buying that kind of theology anymore. He, he knew, as David said, that God will not let the rebellious exalt themselves. He knew that no indulgence or no other religious act of the church would ever satisfy our debt before a holy God. But God could, and he did. He did it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the praise and glory of God alone, the anthem of the Reformation. And that made Luther and all to whom his message would come free to live in confidence before God as a loving redeemer and not as a vengeful judge. Not, not as somebody who needed to be bought off or constantly placated, but free to live in the sunshine of a clean conscience on account of Christ and what he did for us. Instead of under the oppressive weight of, of our own personal failings. And you know that freedom of conscience gave Luther the courage to stand. To stand against the whole world practically and do it alone. Because if you remember, the Roman church of his day didn't like this German monk preaching against the plans of the Pope. And so as time went on, Luther was put on trial in the papal court. And when he wouldn't recant his teaching on the supremacy of Scripture over the teachings of man, he was excommunicated. And so you see, Luther understood what it was like for David to say in Psalm 66, For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. He laid a crushing blow on our backs. Because he was not only excommunicated from the church, but he was branded a heretic. And a bounty was placed on his head by the government of Charles V. He became a hunted man whose life was in such danger that his friends had to take him into hiding until some of the heat died down. But you know, he never backed down. He never backed off the truth of Scripture. Even when the culture of his day didn't like it. Even when they didn't want to hear it. Here I stand. Said Luther, I can do no other. And those words become even more poignant when you remember that by uttering them, Luther had, in effect, signed his own death warrant. Signed his own death certificate. Now, if this were a, a made-for-TV movie, and if the credits were to roll right now after Luther's speech, it would make for a really inspiring story, wouldn't it? Uh, if Hollywood had written the script, maybe Emperor Charles would have a change of heart, see the error of his ways... And it would make Luther's story a touching tale of bravery with a happy ending. But this isn't Hollywood. This is history. And the story was far from over. In fact, in many ways, it's still going on today. Uh, in many ways, Luther's story is your story and my story. Because you see, when Luther boldly stood in the freedom of the gospel, it made him an outlaw. And you see, that's the thing about God's word. It creates in us the gift of faith, a new life in Christ. It creates in us a sure and certain hope that God is our refuge and strength. That he's an ever-present help in trouble. The source of our deliverance. But you know, none of that is a guarantee that the world or the powerful people in it will believe. Or, or even just let us alone in peace. Right? Uh, they didn't in Luther's day. 
And so while his confession of truth made him free before God, it bound him before men. And the same thing happened to Peter and, and to Paul and the other apostles. In fact, if you remember in Acts chapter 5, when Peter and the apostles were arrested and told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, uh, do you remember what Peter said? He, he said, we must obey God rather than men. And the story didn't end there, because you remember what happened next? The apostles were beaten to within an inch of their lives for those words. If you remember the apostle Paul was regularly imprisoned and put on trial for his preaching. And Stephen, Stephen's confession, well, that led to his execution. But, you know, these men knew the truth, and the truth set them free to speak God's word faithfully, even when they knew it meant being at odds with the world and at war with the devil. And that, brothers and sisters, is the part of the story that's continuing today because Satan hates the proclamation of the gospel, and he will do whatever he can to silence it. That's why the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces at work in this present darkness. And in case you haven't noticed, this world's pretty dark. Because our old satanic foe will use violence today just as he did in the days of the apostles or in the days of Martin Luther. Uh, it's just the methods are more sophisticated, right? Uh, you only have to have a television or a smartphone to know full well that there are places in this world where proclaiming here I stand on the word of God will result in the loss of your head. That's not a joke. But you know, Satan uses more than physical violence in his attempt to silence the gospel uh, because you know, too, that there are places right here in this country where proclaiming, here I stand on the word of God will get you met with mockery and ridicule and contempt from the people around you. Uh, you know full well there are uh, social media sites where speaking the truth of God's word will get you accused of bigotry and hatred for standing against the growing assaults of the homosexual agenda. You'll be accused of hypocrisy and arrogance for standing on our Lord's word and speaking out against the genocide of abortion and the greed and the selfishness that's not only uh, embraced but seems to be esteemed by our modern world somehow. Or you'll see people accused of brainwashing their kids and grandkids because you uh, are faithful in bringing them to church and raising them in the Holy Scriptures. But you know what? Regardless of all that, the words of Christ stand. And if someone has a problem with it, their problem is not with us. It's with God himself. We are simply the messengers, just like Luther, stepping out in faith and standing tall no matter what. Now, now I don't know what the future of Christianity looks like in this country. I, I don't know if things will get uh, better or worse. I don't know if more cities and, and, and counties like New York will be threatening their citizens with uh, severe fines and potential jail time for refusing to use transgender pronouns when they're talking to people. Uh, I don't know if the left-wing progressive politicians will be successful in their campaign to silence the preaching of the gospel by pulling churches' tax exemption certificates like they promised on the CNN debate Monday night before last, if you saw it. But I do know, I do know that whatever change this world may shackle me with, I am free before God, and so are you if you are in Christ. So are you if you are in Christ as a blood-bought member of God's family, whatever threats may come. The church has survived a lot of them. In fact, the French uh, Reformed Protestant theologian Theodore Beza said, and I love this quote, he said, it belongs to the church to receive blows rather than inflict them, but she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. I love that. Belongs to the church of God to receive blows rather than to inflict them, but she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. 
And that's true regardless of what laws are passed next, regardless of what name society calls us or what lies are spread about us. Our Lord is the one true God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He's in control even if things get worse for us before they get better. Uh, Even if we do end up facing persecution or the threat of death, even in this country, here we stand. Even though the devil would have you to fear. Even though the world would have you despair. Even though our sinful flesh would have us lose hope. But because we abide in Christ, the Word made flesh, you and I can say in the words of Martin Luther's famous speech, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. We cannot do otherwise. So may God help us. Amen. Let's pray together.